0: All right. Well, are y'all ready for part two of Called Out? They do not sound ready here. I hope you're ready. No, I want to hear some enthusiasm. We're talking about suffering today. We got to get our hearts ready. Are y'all ready for part two? Yes. Okay. I'll let you know that last night my wife was called in to uh, work, which means I get to get the kids up and, uh, and ready and here. And I also uh, had not even sent Joey the text that I was going to use for today because this is such a broad topic that uh, I could spend a whole series on this. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to continue the idea from last week. The idea that we talked about last week was this, that when Christians believe lies— we will feel shame and doubt for following a countercultural Jesus. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus is countercultural, which means if you love kind of life right now and kicking it in life, that Jesus is probably calling you out of that. And so part of what we've got to understand is there are lies that all of us have believed and we're seeing. And as the Christian life, it is countercultural. These are lies. Today we're going to talk about the lie of happiness. Really, the lie of pursuing happiness. But I would say the, the lie is that suffering or that struggle should be avoided. That's the lie that most of us, we may not say that, in fact, we would not say that, but we live our lives as if we want to avoid all suffering and avoid all struggle. And so today, I just want to start off with this idea that for most of us, we should at least acknowledge. I don't care how bad you think the world is, how tough life is for you right now, Life is way easier now than at any point in history. Can we just at least acknowledge that, okay? So my first thing is, I at least want you to have a little gratitude of where we live in society. Um, If you want to eat, you go to a restaurant or to the grocery store, you don't have to go spend three days on a hunt trying to kill a buffalo or something like that, right? So if you want to go to the bathroom, you don't have to take a shovel, okay? You start off just walking into a room, okay? So we've got some, some nice things going for us that I at least want to bring us in. When we talk about suffering, understand that what we think of suffering may not even be what some people consider suffering. Some people may consider our sufferings luxury. But I want to talk about today this lie that we should be pursuing happiness at all costs or the idea that we should avoid struggle and suffering. I don't know if you all heard the news story. There was a news story um, in Allen a few Uh, Weeks ago were two boys, they were brothers, and they decided they were going to kill themselves because... They were not happy. They were, they were in life. They felt as if they were suffering and struggling. And they made the decision that they were going to kill themselves. But they knew that their family could not would be suffering. They could not go through life happy if two of their sons had killed themselves. And so they made the decision to kill their entire family, thinking that that would bring their family away from struggle and suffering. Because if they couldn't be happy, then maybe they should protect their family from avoiding suffering as well. And so they killed their whole family. Family, You see, the truth is, is that when we buy into a lie that this life is about happiness, that this life, that the, the end, the chief means of or end of life is that we be happy now, you will always struggle. You will always uh, will come up a little bit short on what your purpose in life is. But the truth is, as a Christian, we always, always have this mindset that we are called out of, of some things and into other things. So listen, we are called out of safety into obedience as Christians, okay? We are We are called out of comfort and into suffering. You need to understand that. We are called out of our comfort and into suffering when we follow Christ. We are also, we are called to find happiness in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the storm, not called out of suffering. We are called into suffering, into the life of Christ. All right, so let's look at this lie of happiness a little bit, okay? Now, in philosophy circles, they would call this the problem of evil, or the, um, is kind of sometimes the way it is, or the, the, the struggle of God, sometimes the way it's, it's phrased. And it says this, that if God were all good, he would then want his creation to be perfectly happy. If God were good, he would want his creation to be happy. If he is all-powerful, then he could make it happy. So either God is not all good or God is not all powerful. That's kind of the the eternal philosophical struggle with an all-powerful God. Now, there's a few problems with this, okay? There's some assumptions that are made when we think that God wants us to be happy and he's all-powerful, he could do it. First of all, we have the assumption that we know what good is, okay? That's an assumption I'm not even going to be able to touch on. But we have this assumption also that that we understand what God's purpose is. We understand what ultimate happiness is. That we have this perspective from ourselves that is limited, and we need to understand even going through that question of why would God do this, there is a problem with that one of the first lies of this happiness mindset is that we have the wrong perspective you and i need to understand we have the wrong perspective right now if i were to say it's impossible for you to see the road right now okay is it impossible it's 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 pretty impossible for us to see the road from where we're at in here we got windows maybe we can see a road over there but you at home you might say well it's not impossible it's impossible from where we are right now. But you understand that somebody could be outside, somebody could, could be um, looking at a window. Maybe right now you can look out your window if you're at home and you can see the road. So the, the impossibility is not that it's impossible, it's that the perspective of where we are is impossible. You know, I'm reminded of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, it's 40 chapters of Job suffering and complaining about suffering and blaming God kind of with his friends, blaming God or blaming this and that for suffering. Here is the response that God gives Job. And this is uh, two sentences of two chapters that, uh, that uh, Job is, or that God responds. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Can you save yourself with a mighty hand? Job responds, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I heard you with the hearing of my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. When Job took one minute to think about the perspective of God and that there was so much outside of him, he began to realize that his suffering may not have been the evil of God. It may have been something else going on. One of the things when we suffer, I want us to understand is that we have a perspective problem. I believe all suffering does have purpose, ultimately, that God can redeem and God can work through all suffering, but we do not have the perspective. But it's it's important for us to have what we call a theology of suffering. Now, I know this is a, you're glad you got up and come to church, right? I'm glad I spent an hour struggling with my kids to get them here, right? Uh, if you're at home, hey, you're eating your waffles, so good for you. You're not, you're not suffering like I suffered this morning. C.S. Lewis, he said this about suffering. He said when we, when we broached the, top, the topic of suffering, he said this. He says, there's a mystery here which, even if I had the power, I might not have the courage to explore. Jesus said if you're going to follow him, you need to count the cost. And he was being serious. He's saying many of you may not want to come where I'm going to take you. So when we look at this, I want to just point out that you can take a few verses out of the Bible. You can take some Proverbs and Psalms and you can create kind of this idea that God wants us to be wealthy and happy, prosperity, gospel. You can make that case, but you gotta go to a few books, to a few verses, and you just repeat them over and over and over again. And you have to ignore the other you know, 98% of the Bible, because here's the truth. Every single person, every single narrative, every single book in the Bible is a story of God using suffering to follow him. Every single one. So I want to take us real quick through a journey of suffering in the Bible. Okay, We, we went through Noah and talked about Noah. Noah was not on a cruise ship for 150 days. He was in the, the chaos. He was in a, a, a cataclysmic, he was in a, 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 a catastrophic flood for 150 days. And he watched everyone he knew outside of his family perish. Okay. That was the calling, the saving of God, was, was a suffering journey. Moses was, a third of his life he was in hiding. A third of his life he was, uh, he was uh, leading the Israelites in the desert, wandering while they grumbled at every single point. And then he finally leads them to the promised land. And right as he's about to go in, what does God do? God says, hey, you can look at it, but you're not going in. And God doesn't even allow him into the promised land. You can look at the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. God says, Hey, hey, I'm, I'm here. You're gonna be my mouthpiece. You're gonna speak words and you're gonna, you're gonna prophesy, and nations are gonna fall and rise on the words that you tell them. And, and he says, Hey, you just tell me where to go, I'll go. And then every single time he opens his mouth, you know what happens? He is mocked or beaten. And then God says, Hey, he gets to a point where he says, God, I despise the call you put on me. And he begins to, to, God begins to say, hey, listen, you're going to go prophesy, If the people of Israel don't repent, they're going to be sent into exile. And you know what happens? The people get sent into exile and you know who goes with them? The prophet Jeremiah gets exiled with them and he did everything God asked him to do. Josiah was a, a, a king and he found the book, which sometimes is the book of Deuteronomy, and he, he sees this book and he says, oh, I'm so excited. We're going to change everything about this, this uh, um, about our law. We're going to start following God to the T. He makes all these reforms. are called Josiah's reforms. You know what happens next? He gets killed in battle and everybody forgets about his reforms and nothing really changes. The people that were filled with hope are let down when their king is, is killed in battle. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he, he asked a question, is Jesus the Christ? You know where he asked that question? From a prison cell that he would never leave and he would eventually be beheaded because a little girl on a whim wanted to see his head cut off. You realize that when we look at the, the New Testament, it doesn't get better. Every single one of Jesus' followers is going to be martyred. Paul, when Paul is called in Acts 9, some of us forget this. When Paul is called in Acts 9, this is what Jesus says to Cornelius. He says, hey, I want you to go get this guy, Paul. And then this is what Jesus says to him. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then you look at every single disciple. They were all martyred, which means they were murdered because they would not renounce Jesus. Except for one, John. We call John the lucky one, right? Because he wasn't martyred. You know why he wasn't martyred? He was boiled in oil, and he survived it. And so they put him on an island to where he would never see his family, his friends, or anyone that loved him ever again. He was exiled to an island. That's Jesus's favorite, by the way. And so we look at this, and it keeps going on. Polycarp, which Awesome name, right? One word he was, you know, before Madonna and Seal, it was Polycarp, right? Now, he was burned at the stake while singing praises because he would not recant his faith in Jesus. And this goes on. You realize 20 people to this very day, 20 people a day are murdered because they will not renounce Christ. There's a story in uh, Romania, in in communist uh, Romania, in 1948. There was a pastor who was um, imprisoned because he wouldn't renounce Christ. This is his account. He says, I was tortured with red-hot iron pokers, with knives. I was badly beaten. Starving rats were driven into our cells through a large pipe every night so that we could not sleep without being bitten. If I rested, I would be consumed by the rats. I was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night, And then my 14-year-old son was brought before me and whipped until I repeated their confession against Christ. As I began to denounce Christ, my son proclaimed, Do not do me the injustice of having a traitor as a father. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my motherland. The child died praising Jesus as he was being beaten to death. And his father, who lived through this, was never the same. You look at the New Testament, you look at, at at every single book. I could take you through every book in the Bible and you would find this. Jesus is a nickname is the suffering servant in the Gospels. Acts, we see the call to suffer. Romans, Paul says this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, we are buffeted and homeless, and we labor with our hands. When we're reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Philippians 129, for it has been granted to me or to you. You've been given a gift, y'all. Y'all about to get a gift, right? Y'all ready? Y'all excited? It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you will not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Merry Christmas, y'all. Colossians 124, now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In the flesh I am filled with what is lacking in Christ's affliction, Christ affliction, so that for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I get to suffer so that the church can see me suffer like Christ. What a gift. Is what Paul is saying. You see, we need to understand some things about suffering. First thing, I came across this idea um, I, that, that I thought was helpful. It was in a book called *Antifragile* by Nassim Taleb. I don't know if you know who that is. You don't have to know it. But he had this concept of anti-fragile. And, or if, uh, if you're from the 80s, anti-fragile is what it would be. Okay, it's Italian. Now, that's my 80s reference, okay? So my brother is here. He's the one I'm talking to. I'm just trying to get him to laugh. If he laughed, it was okay. It was worth it. Fragile means this, is what uh, Nassim Taleb says. Don't you shake your head at me. I see that. I love having people here. I can see these reactions over here. Okay. Frag- uh, f- I almost said fragile. Fragile means this. Fragile means that uh, if we're stressed, we'll be broken. Okay? This is the way that... that Kids are are sometimes raised nowadays, right? That uh, you got to avoid suffering. They're fragile. If if they get stressed or if they get hurt, they'll break. Okay. This is what some people erroneously believe, but this leads to bad thinking. It leads to things like safe spaces where you can't even say things I disagree with. It it leads to ideas like triggering where you could be in trouble if you say something that makes me offended. It leads to uh, just dangerous ideas, even microaggressions, even if you don't mean to do something, if it was wrong then you should be punished because you have done it. it's the this idea that we are fragile this is not true okay we are not fragile and the Christian mind is not fragile you need to understand that if we are stressed we will not be broken but then there's this idea of resilience like a rubber band that we can be resilient okay so uh, this I, I think is like me in college in college I would go to parties but I would not drink and, you know, if somebody asked me, I would say, well, I'm a Christian, I don't, I don't drink. This is the idea that I'll just be a good neighbor, I'll, I'll live life, but I'm going to fit in and I'm not going to go against the grain. I'm not going to be too countercultural that that uh, that I'm stressed, okay? The problem with resiliency is that you don't grow, you don't actually get stressed. You come back to where you are, you survive, you know, you pull a rubber band, it'll come back. But... but It doesn't get any stronger, but he says there's this other idea we need to understand. And this is not in the Bible, this word anti-fragile, but this is what Nassim Taleb says. He says, you've got to understand that there's also this idea of anti-fragile. That is that if we are stressed, we get stronger. Your muscles are anti-fragile. If you do not use them, if you do not stress them, they will not get stronger. They need to be stressed. There's also your heart. There's so many things in your mind needs to be challenged or it will wither away. And see, as Christians, we need to understand we are not resilient. We've been given a mission and every single Christian needs to know your mission. Your mission is in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you don't know it, then you need to memorize it, okay? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, Jesus says. You have a mission, and your mission, you have to be strong. And we are not resilient. We are anti-fragile. We need to be stressed. The Christian life It is a life that that is in the chaos and mess of this world. And we are actively trying to make change. So we must be actively getting stronger. And suffering and stress is the key that makes us stronger. It is a gift. Suffering is the weapon that God uses to make us a change agent in this world. And, And most of us are living a lie that we're supposed to avoid it. So here's what I want to do. I want to just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for a little bit and there was so much I wanted to say. I'm going to say less because I think Paul's words say a lot. I'm going to start in verse 7. He says, "But this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power Belongs to God and not to us. Now, the treasure he's talking about is this. I'm just going to read verse six real quick. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who shined in our hearts um, to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So we have treasures. This treasure is the gospel. We have Jesus. We have somebody who suffered and died for us. We have a hope that is eternal. You and I, when we are in Christ, will live forever and we will not shed a tear for most of eternity. We have this little, little, little centimeter of our life now, but for eternity, we will be with God and there will be no tear, no pain. So we've got to understand that we have this gift right now in this jar of clay, this broken or or, or this vessel that we have that will not last forever. He says, your treasure is not happiness. It is Jesus. Your treasure is not being happy. It is the eternal life that Jesus gives us. You will be with God always. Jesus, or God is the, the gospel. When we say the good news, we mean Jesus dying on a cross so that we can be with God. But his actions really bring us into God's presence for eternity. That's good news. So he goes on to say this about living the Christian life. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not Crushed. It reminds me of Hebrews four fifteen, where it says we do not have a high priest, speaking about Jesus, who is unable to know, our, our, to know what we've been through. But instead, it says he's been tempted in every way. He's gone through everything we could go through and more. It says we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now, it's hard to understand suffering. It's hard to understand why we're going through this or why you're facing what you're facing. But we're not in despair. We can question why is this happening to me without saying God is against me, okay? You can suffer and not understand it, but you can keep the faith that, you know what, I know that God is here. If there's one thing we have, it's this next line, we are persecuted but not forsaken. You see, we can say we are suffering, but we cannot say That God doesn't love us. We cannot say that God is not with us. How do we know this? Because God himself, Jesus Christ, in the flesh came down and what did he do for us? He suffered on our behalf. He went to the cross willingly. He was crucified and overcame death. So we can say, man, I'm suffering, but we cannot say God is not with me because God suffered just like we suffered, actually more. The suffering of Christ at least shows God is with us. Now, he says, I'm struck down, but not destroyed. I'm always carrying in the body of this body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is not working in us, but life in you. Now, he's writing to people who are kind of the uh, uh, Americans of, of the area, okay? He's writing to people that are rich, and they're not suffering. But they see the people that are following Jesus suffering. And these suffering people are trying to convince the rich people, hey, quit doing your rich thing and do what we're doing. That's kind of a hard sell, and that's the sell that you and I have to face. That's why we're doing this series Because it's so easy to say, I've already got it rich. Why Why would I do what you're doing? Think about how ridiculous that is. But he's saying, listen, all that's happening to us is so that you can see how strong and how great he really is. The goal of following Jesus is that we are fully reliant on him. And that's why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because we, it, when we have everything we need, it's hard for us to cry out to God. And some of us are living a lie right now thinking, you know what, I'm already kind of happy I've got most of the stuff I need. So why do I need God? And we might say it, we might even show up to church, but we don't live with this desperation that I need God to show up every single day. So part of what he's saying is, listen, death is all around us. Death is, is, is in our lives when we're, Christ, when we're following Christ. But it's because it makes us rely on Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, The human spirit will not even try to surrender its self-will as long as all seems well with it. As long as things are going well and you're not suffering or you're not struggling, you'll never turn to Christ. That's just the way it is. You have to go through some suffering." Some struggle. So he says this. I'm going to skip to verse 16. He says, Do not lose heart, for though our outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, life will never make sense apart from God and apart from eternity. I say this all the time. Life doesn't make sense apart from eternity. But one of the things Paul says here is the closer we get to the end of this life and to eternity, our outer self shrinks and and, and we get weaker and weaker physically and then eventually we die. But our inner self is getting stronger and stronger until then we come entered into the kingdom of heaven. And and as Christians, if we've been suffering and struggling and longing for this eternity, when we get there we're not wasting away like our outer selves. Our inner self is rejoicing and ready for the moment. I think that's a beautiful picture of, of, of why we suffer. It's because we are preparing for eternity. But here's where I wanted to get. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this light moment, y'all say this with me light momentary suffering. This light momentary suffering, okay? Let's be, uh, he goes on to say, for the things, that are tra- the, the things that are seen are transient, that are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's talk about Paul's uh, light momentary afflictions, okay? I'm just going to skip to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. We'll just read through some of his light momentary afflictions, okay? He says, I've had far more imprisonments. I've had countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times a day I was beaten with rods. I was once stoned, and not that stoned, not that kind of stone, the bad stone. Well, they're both bad. I always get in trouble when I say that. The rock, the stones with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles. Danger in the cities, danger in the wilderness, danger, this should be a song, danger in the sea. I was uh, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from all other things. There's daily pressure on me and all my anxiety for all these churches to work. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If you want to talk about his momentary afflictions, they make you not want to talk about your momentary afflictions, right? You see, Paul saw that the sufferings and the afflictions he was going through, we look at it and we see the sufferings, but Paul saw the invisible. He saw the seeds. You know, the seeds of your suffering are invisible. They're in the ground. Paul knew that the more he suffered, the more he endured, the more he proclaimed God and was rejected, the more that that puts a seed in somebody's eyes that, you know what, there's something about that guy. He's willing to suffer and not just suffer, he suffers well. He doesn't complain. Instead, he relies on Christ at the end of his life. He was so ready for the next life that he was fully reliant on Christ so much that he's writing letters of joy from prison, telling people how good God is. Calling them, hey, you should be like me, you should come and be in prison even, because you will fully be relying on Christ. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about this message of how we should respond to this. And I, I, there's, a, there's several things, so I'm just going to quick hit a couple of ideas, and then I want us to, to talk about how we can apply this. First thing, um, I don't want to assume that you're suffering, and I don't want you to feel like your suffering isn't real. Yes, you haven't been through what Paul, none of you have been shipwrecked lately, okay? There's a lot of things I understand that it, it's, it's tempted to say, oh, well, I'm not really suffering. But I, but I don't want us to feel like that. You know, it's hard to walk with a broken bone, but it's also hard to walk a long distance with a pebble in your shoe, okay? It, both of those are debilitating. Both of those will eventually bring you to your knees. And so if what you're going through is something that people can't see, but you, but you don't want to tell it's a depression or a loneliness or an anxiety, something that you would say, you know what, there are people worse. Yes, we understand that. So I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Hey, your kids are tough and it's just over and over. Hey, I understand that everybody goes through that, but that's still real. Okay, I'm not minimizing your suffering, but I want to speak to it a little bit. Okay, three quick points. The first thing you are blessed while you suffer. We have to understand that. You are blessed. It could be worst, worse. And it could be a different type of suffering. You need to understand that even if it's a physical pain, there's a worse type of suffering than a physical pain. And it could be a loneliness, and that's not good. But hey, you're here in church. You're not lonely, okay? There are people that are for you, and you, you need to understand you are blessed even in your suffering. But I also want you to know that the remedy of suffering is not to get out of suffering. The remedy of your suffering. Now, you know, if you've got a broken bone, go get it fixed. Go put a cast on. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm saying is, sometimes you have emotional suffering or physical suffering or some type of suffering, uh, anxiety or something that you may even say is irrational. I shouldn't be going through this. And you're, all you're thinking about is, I need to get to the doctor. I need to somehow f- figure out how I can get out of this suffering or pain. Whereas some of us need to realize, sometimes the response, rather than avoid is to lean into the suffering and understand this is a moment for me to rely on Jesus. This is a moment for me to recognize I can't do this alone. I need Jesus' help. Now I'm not telling you not, you know, to go talk to a doctor. I'm not telling you not to do that. But I'm just saying if your end goal is I gotta get out of pain and suffering, you're gonna miss the lesson that God wants for you. When we suffer. Even if it's anxiety, even if it's emotional, it's a call for us first and foremost. Can we rely on Jesus in this moment? Sometimes uh, simply to admit you can't go. That's the point. Now, the last thing I want you to know is you are not alone in your suffering. There's this phrase that's used in suffering. It's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. As a church, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And let me just be clear. If you are, are not in church, I hear this a lot. Hey, uh, I'm spiritual, but I don't need to go to church, or this and that. If you don't need your church, you are probably not following Jesus the way you should be. Because there's a point when we are following Christ that we look at our lives and say, you know what? I'm talking about Jesus there, but I'm on this mission, and I realize I can't be on this mission alone. And if you try to be on the mission alone, you're probably not Facing as much suffering you don't if you don 't need to be around people who are suffering and, and are being uh, you know uh, looked down upon because of their beliefs if you 're not around people who are being uh, mocked because they evangelize and tell people jesus is the hope of the world if you 're not around people that can encourage you because you are on this mission you 're probably not on the mission okay and so here 's what we need to understand if we are going to go and make disciples okay that 's what Jesus told not you know, me, all of us, go. If you're not going and making disciples, if, if you're not trying to baptize your friends, if you're not trying to disciple and lead people to Jesus, you're probably not suffering as much as you should be. And so we need to understand the reason we need the church is because we're all doing this, okay? And people are going to be making fun of you. People are going to be saying, why are you doing You know what? Man, I just feel like everybody hates me. And somebody else can come back and say, you know what? I was sharing Jesus yesterday. I felt the same way. Let's do this together. I don't, you know, and we, we encourage each other. You know why the word fellowship is not used anywhere except for the church? It's because everywhere else you can go and, and you don't have to have this circle the way that the church has to have. We have to have this. We are on a mission together. We are a band of brothers and sisters on a mission. So here's what I, I think we need to do to learn to suffer well. We need to first of all lean into the idea of suffering well. First thing is this, is that some of us need to start suffering, okay? And that's just the reality. If the hardest thing you did yesterday was, you know what, my back was kind of sore when I got up from the couch and went to the, you know, I was at work and man, I got, okay. Some of us need to begin suffering, okay? You need to lean into the idea every single day I should suffer or struggle a little bit because I am anti-fragile. If I am not suffering, I am not growing, So that means some of us need to, there are some Christian practices, fasting. The reason we fast is because it brings on a suffering, a dependence on God, that when you are rich, it's hard to depend on God. But when you quit eating for a few days, some of us for a few hours, you depend on God. You begin to say, you know what? God, I don't think I can do this for another day. And instead of breaking down, you have to pray. You have to call your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I need you to pray for me because I want to eat the whole store, okay? Now, that's just the truth. Fasting is a way to suffer. Some of us need to give generously and say, you know what, I, I'm going to give a little bit more than it's comfortable." And, and I'm not talking about just to the church. Maybe you need to have a friend and say, you know what, they're in need, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to actually give more than what is, what is normal, what, more than what, some, what someone would say. That's, that's, that's rational. I'm going to give generously because I need to feel it as well. I need to rely on God. God, how am I going to do this? I don't know. I'm going to have to pray and rely on God. We need to willingly suffer. Some of us need to go serve somebody that can't help us. You know, every, in May, May 1st, we're going to have another opportunity to go to the Wiley Christian Care Center. Go serve somebody that can't help you. That's something a Christian should be doing, and, and that's not really even suffering, because you're going to have, you're like Phoebe from Friends, you're going to get more out of it than, than it's going to be hard to suffer, but, but it's hard for us to, to, to take that step, A friend's reference from the 90s, okay? I'm staying there for, okay? Good. I got Megan back there. Good. That's all I need. All you millennials and people that were born after 1990, I don't even know why you're at this church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, okay? Pray for those that persecute you, and and, and you need to serve and love your enemies. You realize that that's that's suffering, right? If If somebody hurts you, you know what, I'm going to pray for their well-being, and I'm going to actually look, maybe I can even serve them. And I'm doing that because it's going to hurt me, but it's going to change me. It's going to transform me. the other one is evangelize. We need to be telling people about Jesus. And if you're not doing that, you're not on the mission. You're probably not suffering or at least being kind of put at arm's length the way that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's part of the Christian life is we tell people about the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, if you are suffering, I want to say a couple of things. Now, some of us, again, it, it, I don't want to minimize. If Parenting can be hard. Going to school, it can be hard, okay? Um, going to work every day can be hard, and it can just hit you every single day. I get that. Being lonely can be hard. Going through life with anxiety and worrying can be—all these things are hard. So first thing is, come to church, that's the thing I would tell you. Lean into your church. And when you feel lonely, come and tell somebody in the church, you know what, I'm lonely. I just need to, I need to be around. And let those people minister. Don't assume that they, that they know, but also don't assume that they don't know. If you're somebody and you see someone that looks lonely in the church, you should be gathering around. Hey, I didn't, don't tell them, hey, you look lonely. She Jesus didn't say is, you know what, I want you to be around. You know, we have a church picnic today. If you didn't know that, I don't even know. I didn't hear the announcements because my morning was chaotic. We have a church picnic at 1230. Come be around your church. Just maybe somebody needs to hang around you and hear your funny jokes or whatever you've got. Bring some jokes if you're coming, okay? But I'm telling you, be around your church family. That's a big deal. But here's the the, the encouragement I want to give to you. I want you to memorize First or Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eleven. For this light momentary affliction is preparing me, don't say us, say me, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Every single time you feel overwhelmed or suffering or are struggling through life, I want you to reset your purpose and understand that God is working in your suffering for this light momentary. So you're, you're, uh, none of your kids they're they're all ungrateful, and this is not this is hypothetical that they're all ungrateful. They don't they don't clean the house, and and you're cleaning up the same thing you cleaned up the day before, and the day before, the day before, and, and they seem ungrateful. And then the bills are tight this month, and everything's going like that. Just and repeat this. This light momentary momentary is a big part of this momentary affliction. Affliction is preparing me for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is going to be so well because I'm going to suffer well. I'm not going to yell at them even though they deserve it. I'm not going to get, get mad at God even though I feel like he could stop this. I'm not. I'm going to suffer well and I'm going to find joy in this moment because I know that what's coming for me is way better than anything I can imagine. It's beyond all comparison. If we are all about doing life on our own power, this life's never going to make sense. But when your goal is to rely fully on Jesus, man, your weakness is your greatest strength. When you suffer, it puts you at a place where you just say, you know what, this life, I can't do it. But man, I need Jesus. The biggest problem with suffering is this, is that we think we are not deserving of suffering and we forget the mission we're on. So some of us, we think, you know what, why am I suffering? I'm better than others. The Bible says every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every single one of us deserves. If you want to know why there's chaos in the world, we could go back to Genesis and go to the original sin, or we could go back to yesterday and I could look at my sin. And I could recognize, you know what? The chaos on this world, I am a part of it. I, I, I don't deserve better than this. I deserve worse than this. But yet I get the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison because of Jesus Christ. When I feel the weight of my sin, I feel the weight of glory from a Savior who saved me out of it. But then I also got to know I'm on a mission. Part of the reason some of us struggle is because we think, you know, why are we, why, why am I going through this? But we're not on a mission And if you're not living out this mission, if you're not saying, I want to see every single person come to know Jesus, well, then you're not going to want to suffer. You're not going to be, it's not going to be worth it. What you're going after has to be worth the suffering pain. Ask any Olympic athlete. The reason they suffer, the reason they work hard, the reason they do what they're doing is because they believe it'll work out in the end. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth the pain. It'll be worth the suffering. The same goes for us as Christians. If you're not living a life on mission, waking up every day saying, someday I'm going to see eternity, but I want to bring as many people along with me, then it's never going to make sense why we're going through what we're going through. The biggest lie or the first lie that we believe is that we're supposed to avoid suffering. As Christians, we find meaning in suffering. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church who can hear a lesson like this, hear a message about suffering And even though it's uncomfortable, even though we may not want to really dig into it, and some of us may have to reconsider, is this really the call that I'm on? Lord, I thank you for putting this message to us so that when we struggle, when we suffer, when we go through things we don't understand, we can say, you know what? There is meaning in this. God is doing something in this. Lord, I thank you so much that we... Do not suffer alone. Instead, you gave us an example. Instead of coming and and, and being this almighty king that everybody could look at and say, hey, that's who I want to be around. That's what who I want to be like. We see a suffering servant who dies on our behalf and makes us wonder is, you know what? If he would do that for me, man, how much could he love me? How much does he love me? But Lord, it doesn't end with the suffering. Thank you for that. We thank you for the resurrection, the hope of every Christian that just like you raised Jesus from the dead, all the suffering was worth it because he overcame death itself and he was raised to not just life, but to abundant, eternal life. And Lord, that is our hope. We suffer and we suffer well, not because we simply want to get through this moment, but because we believe we will be raised with Christ to eternal and abundant life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.